Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. You can hear. Back in action. Here we go, the dynamic duo. This is Father Michael Rapp. This is Father John Ladnepple. Here we're coming at you from the Catholic Stuff You Should Know studios in Arvada, Colorado. That's right. Good to be with you. Good to be back. Round two here tonight. Going late and, and uh, fight and fight. I just told Mike. I said I'm going to try and make this as interesting as possible. It's one of those. That's right. Got the horn. Yes, he's got the horn ready. Keep those starbursts away from me. Those no, are. I might. I might snap. Be careful. They've been sitting here for many months. And uh, tooth. I broke my teeth the other day. Yeah. You be careful. You broke. I, now, okay. So I did break break my teeth. My one tooth just crumbled. Just, and I had that fake, like, Marsha had to make me a fake tooth. Right. And now I have dreams where my teeth just crumble oh, and crack. Oh. And, oh, isn't that bad oh, dream? Oh, man. Yeah. If anybody's got a remedy for those kind of nightmares. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you dream of Rome ever? Uh, not really. I have, I'd say at least once a month I have a Rome dream. Really? It's usually not a good dream. Like I had so where one, does it take place? Are you in one of the churches, or are you on the streets? Uh, last time um, we were, um, well, uh, I I had parked a car somewhere, and I had my whole family, I had like 20 people, and I was trying to kind of herd them through the streets, and we're looking for this car that I parked, and I just couldn't couldn't find the spot. So it was, was just it like... Was it one of those really small cars, like the smart car Exactly, and how we were going to get 20 people into this car, I don't even know. But like, yeah, it's... it's. And then I had one recently, it was... I was at my defense, and I didn't have any notes. Oh, All no. I had was the dissertation. Oh, no. And I was like, how did you not plan for this? And I so I just started reading from the dissertation, and all of a sudden, this when I was at St. Tom's in Boulder, I was a brand new priest, and there was this woman who just categorically hated my guts like from the second she saw me and she would heckle me oh, yeah heckle me Ooh, from the first heckler, yeah she was the heckler from the first row and uh, during she, homilies oh yeah yeah like boo yeah yeah and she would like if i would make a mistake <laughs> like if i would say the wrong person's name she would like yell at me and uh it was it was just wow. insane oh yeah it was crazy, and so That's she's fun. in the Did front. Did you fig- figure out how to navigate that? Never, no. Just I, like Odysseus on his on his boat, and there's like sea creatures coming. Exactly, out she's the skilla. Stabbing at you. Exactly. So she showed up in the dream, and uh, I'm in the defense, and I don't know what to do because I don't have like the notes for the presentation. So I'm just reading from the dissertation, and she starts heckling me, oh, and it was no. yeah, everybody starts, ah, and I was like, oh my god, it was just like so. <laughs> These are the kind of nightmares that Can we'll I make a, a wager? I'm going to bet you $2 that you will see her in purgatory. Yes. She's going to be so. heckling you. Yeah, I, I deserve I deserve a lot more heckling. But that was a very interesting... That was nine years ago. God bless her. That's the a heckler, tough dream. The heckler. So when you were doing your defense, I remember that there's a variety of different kinds of questions. And I wasn't at your defense, so I'm not sure. Um, but I've seen questions at like... Big broad questions, mm-hmm. like tell me about this concept that you covered or whatever. Yeah, and then I've heard questions like, um, on your, you know, you did this footnote seemed wrong on page four hundred eighty-three. Right, right. Yeah, did you mean that or did you mean? And it's like, what really? Yeah, is it supposed to happen like that? Like mix it up? Did you have anything real particular? I didn't like that? have. I've been to defenses where guys have had to do or that. like I, you maybe. quote you quote this you know Hans Urs a hundred times. And then you quote this obscure theologian once right. in your thousand pages or whatever, and they want to ask about that About guy. that one, yeah. yeah. I think those are probably good dissertations when that's all they have <laughs> is footnote on page 495. For me, it was broader. The panel of five, they were actually pretty pretty good. They would ask, they would ask good questions, um, but the, they were not like impossible. And they also spoke all, they all spoke and I took notes, and then I gave one long response where I responded to every okay. question. So that helped because you weren't on the spot uh, like some of the other universities where they really kind of nail you. So, yeah, yeah, they're just so trying to... They were actually... So defense can mean different things. And yeah, some of them are like you're under attack. Yeah. Others, they want to help you to kind of clarify things. Right. So you make the best presentation of your research possible. Right, right. Or others are just like um, kind of an exercise, like kind of a fake exercise of... You know, they're they're not even trying to. Um, I don't know, like test your your knowledge, right? 
And or I guess they can be helpful in terms of just like, okay, you're going to publish this. So think about this. Think about this. Yeah, totally. And I, I watched some, go- some of our buddies, um, and it was brutal. And mm. they just wanted to make you look stupid. And I, I was really grateful to not have that. On my board was um, a woman professor who uh, hated me in class. And she, she took the me heckler. to... It wasn't the heckler, but maybe the Italian version of the heckler. But she destroyed me in an oral exam at, nice. at the end of her class. Nice. And, and when I saw her name, I was like... Yeah, that's scary. I'm screwed. It's over. And uh, she was actually the, the best of all of them. She nice. was really so. So anyways, yeah, I don't know why. I have no reason to have these reoccurring, you know, dreams about Rome. Uh, uh, losing a car in a parking spot, whatever, you know. It's kind of uh, cool, though. Do you yeah. miss Rome? I miss aspects of Rome. Yeah. I don't miss, like, being there all the time. But I, there are certainly, I mean, remember how we would just walk everywhere? Yeah. We'd walk down to the Jesu for a whole hour in the morning. We'd go to, we'd walk, I mean... We had such a great rhythm, and it was there was a simplicity to life. We'd go to the same cafe, yeah. talk to the you know, um, riding to the people, that bus to St. Peter's early the in the morning. Yeah, it was just it was just so great. Like um, I miss that. What about you? You miss it? Yeah, I'm starting to. Yeah, just aspect like you know, I, I got nobody to talk Italian with, or right, you know, that little tastes here and there, that pasta, or oh yeah. You know, praying in that church, I kind of took it for granted for a while, and now totally. it'd be really nice. And I, th- I think of it as a beautiful chapter yeah. that I have great memories from, right. and that's life. You know, you move on and you move different places, but yeah, at, at a certain point, I started getting kind of nostalgic. Yeah, it's a, it's such an enchanting place, and uh, it was maddening in times to live there, but it also feels like a dream. Yeah, you know? it and does. now that it we're a couple, now that surreal. we're a couple years back, it's like. Did that actually happen? Did yeah. we actually live there? For, and it was for years, years, years. But it's yeah, yeah, so different. And now you come back to like the familiar place. So that yeah. sounds that does feel kind of like dreamlike or whatever. One aspect that I do miss, uh, going back to the kind of the simplicity of life, there was, um, you know, we had our crew of guys. We had a great group of friends: Lebsock and Coop, Eusterman, Crazy Joe McGill, uh, Litkey. Yeah. We had the boys. James Batania, you know, like just these great characters. Uh, and then friends would come into town for several days, and you just had several days with like one friend or a couple or a pilgrimage group. Yeah. And then they would leave. And it wasn't just like you're always around a million people you want to be with and you're trying to kind of spend time. It was just, there was this kind of this measured kind of simplicity. Yeah. I don't know. It was, and yeah. very special times. Yeah, I mean, Paul and Shannon were just reminding me of oh, you know, a couple of days, and I was like, I, I did for a little while just like block that out. Yeah, I kind of let that chapter sit, and now I'm really enjoying kind of these memories. But it's almost like I don't take pictures of stuff, so I can't like go through and yeah. reminisce. People bring stuff up though, and yeah. I'm like, yeah, that really was cool. We also had such great. Um just memories and experiences and travel traveling together. I was talking to some, some kids who studied abroad together and uh, it, it really does form you in a different way when you're just out there and, you know, we're sitting at a, a place together and you're making friends with everybody and I'm the awkward, quiet dude. That's why it's funny to hear you say you're shy at choose gym. Cause I'm like, I was the freaking <laughs> loser in the corner who didn't know what the hell was going on uh, for four years. But with you, the Italians, you, you carried me. So then you're the King who, with all the visitors. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. There was this kid. Um, I, I just did, uh, concelebrated the wedding of, uh, Dakota and Caitlin. Mm. Hey, Hey, shout out. Yeah. Uh, great, great couple. And um, there was this guy there who is from uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin, this guy, Father Sam. And he, um, we're sitting there at the reception, and I'm like, I think I, you know, you look familiar to me. And then he brings up that he was a Bernardi kid who, while uh, Father Kazuski was the chaplain, ah, okay. they were doing the, the pilgrimage on Holy Thursday, and and we all went out for dinner and uh, got pizzas and beers and stuff. And it was a great time for these guys. And I, re- I just remembered it as Kazuski comes up. I'm praying in one of these chapels. And I was going through this like existential crisis. And it was like really profound. I think I was crying happy tears, but I was kind of like a hot mess or whatever. And that's an embarrassing place to be in when somebody comes up to you and he's like, hey, uh... <laughs> can you come out to dinner with these guys? They'd really like to hang out with you. 
And I was like, oh, oh, oh come on, man, yeah. right now. So then I, w- I went with them, and I was trying. I, and this kid remembered. He was like, yeah, you were really intense. And then, and then we went out, and it was fun, but something was going on. And I was like, yeah, I remember that as being like, please, this yeah. is the last, you know. And then we ended up going. I took them on tour for the station churches. On Holy Thursday, you go out and see like seven different churches and stuff. And it turned out to be really cool, but... So this kid was one of them. Yeah, he's a priest now. Awesome. You know, that was, I think, I don't know that he was a seminarian or thinking about that. That's so. great. Anyway, That's Father fun. Sam. And then he came over and concelebrated Mass with me on Sunday morning at uh, St. Elizabeth here. And nice. It was really cool. That's great. He's bonding. I really like that guy. Now, there's a, there's a couple you got to go to choose fitness with. Then you'll get respect, right? Really? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I don't know how I'd get respect. I was just bragging about Choose Fitness on the last podcast, and then I'm like thinking about it, and I'm like, I'm the scrawniest dude. <laughs> Don't get the impression that I'm like, you know, Whatever. Father Chris Lebsock here. You've got the super genes, at least on Someday, the bike. So. Maybe a year from now, I'm going to be buff. Yeah. Well, that's a nice lead-in. I, uh, I have in my hand here a gift that I was given when I left for Rome. This is a, a wonderful little uh, gift here. I'll just read you the, uh, what they wrote on the first page, if I can open it. This was on May 25th, uh, 2015. To Father John, a small, book, a small book to slip in your pocket when you need a break. God bless your time in Rome, the rights. Oh, nice. Terry and Susan Wright gave me the collected, collected poems of William Butler Yeats. Yeah, and, and that's when you were headed out? That's when I was heading out. Now, I have to confess, I don't read poetry that often, and I'm, I'm really trying to do more of it, you know? Um, I just, I'm one, I don't know, I just kind of... It, Poetry takes a kind of space, mental space, yeah, I'm where you can, you. Uh, you know, and, and I think also a, a kind of reverence of like you just read a little bit and then you have to kind of chew on these things and you can't just kind of hammer through books. Yeah. Well, so, it's meant to be dense. Yeah. So there's a, a Yeats poem in there uh, called A Dialogue of Self and Soul, which hmm. is the, uh, the topic for tonight. Dialogue um, of Self and Soul. A Dialogue oh, of is. Self and it's Soul. marked by a ribbon. There you go. I marked it for you. So... But um, we're going to get to that via a different route. Okay. Um, so I got to take you back, uh, not to Rome. Don't but lose your car. Don't lose the car. A month ago, I was sitting with my buddy Phil Bartline uh, at uh, Yampa Sandwich Company, where we meet every month. And uh, they got rid of the, uh, the Bavarian, which was our favorite. Uh, well, Goebbels and my favorite sandwich there. It had Braunschweiger. And, uh, but we still go there. And uh, Phil wait, and I were... Wait, what'd you call this place? Yampa Sandwich Company. It okay. used to be um, Backcountry Provisions. Okay. So but it's like a steamboat theme. The it Yampa. is, yeah. It's not that? a Craig theme. No, yeah. Yeah, so that was the original one, and then a guy bought the franchise rights and started them in Denver but changed uh, the name. So it's, yeah. it's that one. We I used remember to go, that yeah. sandwich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the end of our... We had this great... Kind of when Mike was in Craig, we would do... We went to the same places, and it was so fantastic. But we kind of always ended with a sandwich at yeah. Backcountry Provisions, and... Uh, so anyways, I'm sitting there with Phil, and uh, we're lamenting over how much we've been using our phones in 2020. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. we're, we're isolated more, we're on these things too much, and we decided, I feel it. I feel we it. decided we were going to make a bet who can use their phone less for the rest of the year until Christmas. And you use that app, that competitive Screen app. time, <laughs> exactly. So we're now a month in. And uh, we've been, and every week on Sunday morning, we, we text, we screenshot the week's usage so what is your daily usage and your total that kind of thing it keeps track of pickups which is a scary thing to think about like oh my god oh really up 100 100 times a day or whatever it's crazy how much how we started paying attention to it so uh just this morning phil uh came in at an average of one hour and 14 minutes a day and he beat me by four minutes and i think that goble ruined it for me because he we were driving yesterday and he had my phone and he was looking up these obscure notorious big songs and i was like can you turn can you turn the phone off please like you can play the song but just yeah, i'm getting a lot of screen time here. i'm gonna lose so he totally ruined my week but phil won so it's two to two what it, okay so average was the one hour and are you using uh, uh, ibrevery no okay yeah i don't that's use that's probably key for me don't use ibrevery and and phil was like now i gotta stop listening to your podcast and i was like no you don't you just you can start the podcast and just turn the phone off. 
just click the okay. screen off. So, okay. so just to tell people, keep listening to the podcast. Which is you know. kind of a fake because you're still using your technology. Totally. But just for our sake, you know, just keep listening Fair to the enough. podcast. Yeah. So um, Wait, okay. So that's the average for the week or that's the average for the last month or whatever? The average for the week, the, that was average day for the last week. Okay. It was an hour 14 for Phil. And okay, he won this week. So I'm going to get him this week, though, because he works at a liquor store and it's Thanksgiving week, so he's toast. Yeah, take that, Phil. So get I was, a landline. Get a landline. So I was preaching about this, uh, and I also watched this documentary, The Social Dilemma. Have you seen this thing? No, I think I should. Everybody's seen it, so. Yeah, it's, it's, it's but good. I, I'm already creeped out. Well, you should be creeped out because they own us and they know everything. And it's it's scary, and not to get all like you know like uh, I don't know, not to get all paranoid about it, but we have to kind of wake up to the fact that like I feel Google like literally it's, owns it's everything. futile. Like I have I've been in this system with the cloud, this weird relationship with the cloud for ten years now, before I woke up to the reality, and it's too late. Yeah, you already have my life. You know my life. Yeah, you know my clicks. You know your clicks. And uh, well, I guess so. As I understand it, because I've heard like you know commentary on the social dilemma or something, the big problem is that they they sort of uh, funnel you into certain thought and interests. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So like the polarization of political ideology, everything, and information, and everything. So if you're into, um, I don't know, if you look up something conservative, they're going to just keep feeding you more and more and more and more radical stuff until you're like that's what you're spending all your time on. Yeah, I I really felt like the a lot of the the one of the main takeaways for me from the from the documentary was the radicalization of like parties, political parties, of interest groups. Everything is getting so extreme, and part of that is because you have these massive algorithms that are working to reinforce only your opinions, but they're selling us like we're we're the product, our time, our interests, right. Every minute you spend on this phone right. is the product. They want to get you hooked, and so they're. But the algorithms reinforce everything that you're you're doing. Everything so, everything that Google's selling you uh, in those emails, those yeah. you know, uh, it, everything is just reinforced on everything that you click, and every, and they know everything. And and these and they know exactly what to give you. Yeah, they feed me the best stand-up comedy things. Yeah, exactly. And I can't stop. Exactly. That's it. You and know, I just want quiet in my car. Right. And go, for Goble, it's cat videos. And he can't get away from them, right? And they, there's so many. There's so many. There's a disturbing <laughs> amount of cat <laughs> videos. Exactly. <laughs> so many cats. There's so many cats. <laughs> so and yeah, they're they, so funny. <laughs> they can't stop they being funny. They just can't stop being funny. So yeah, so we're living in this kind of crazy world where these, these technological monsters are owning us. And, uh, and I, the, the documentary is interesting because it's saying, like, we started these things and we just didn't realize what we've we've begun and there are certain people their conscience kind of kicked in and said we got to get out of this and that's that was the lot of this so it, it's worth watching i think for sure so i brought this into the parish and uh i i help at good shepherd right uh which is one of the most affluent parts of town and there's some great families there i just um there's it, it, some really good people and i i challenge the kids you know how as priests sometimes people give you money and we in companions whenever we get gifts we put it into a what's, what's called the gratis account we don't keep it for ourselves. we we give it away. So I had somebody randomly gave me a hundred dollar bill. So I just brought it and I just said, "If any of you can beat me this week, oh yeah, prize on money on screen time, I'll give you this hundred bucks." So I Wait, got. So what's the age range though of the kids? Yeah. Oh, I said you got to be in middle school or high school. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm wondering, like, yeah. yeah, there's kids with like third grade, and I don't know if they're. Yeah, gonna exactly. It's like Andrew Polito, you don't spend count. all their time. Exactly. So. Uh, so I, I'm looking at their, we're talking screen time afterwards and they're like, oh, I, we don't use screen time because it makes us feel sad. That's what one girl well, said. Yeah. And I was like, that's, that's great. So they're using seven to eight hours a day. And I was like, Ooh. you're toast. Well, I got today, I got lit up. There was three of them who crushed me. Wow. The Devlin kids, Kate Devlin's kids, John and Kate at the, at the parish rocked it. They were like 26 minutes a day or like 35 minutes a day. For so. the week? For the week. Hey, good for you. Oh, kids. they were awesome. Totally rocked it. And uh, yeah, they were just saying, yeah, they were like, we just made a point to put our phone away, charge it, put it away, and you just stop thinking about it. And I was like, this is just awesome. Like yes. the high school kids are thinking about this stuff. It's great. We didn't have this challenge until later on. Um, but we're not any better. You know what I mean? 
Oh, I'm terrible. Yeah, I mean, and I, 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 it's it's good to have the reminder, right? Because I think I can be mindful of it if I'm actually intentional, right? But I, can, it makes me think of two things. One is I think there's a movement among young people to push back, right? So Mag, um, Maggie and Rose, both, um, neither of them have a smartphone. They really? got flip phones. Wow. If you want to text them, you can text them. If you want to talk to them, you can talk to them. Oh, good for them. But they don't sit there and play around on a phone. That's they awesome. They don't even have screen time. That's awesome. Right? And then also uh, Hannah, um, she's a high school teacher, and she gives extra credit if the kids put their phone on the, the board. You know, there's like kind of a ledge for the markers and stuff. You can put your phone there for the class, and then you get extra credit down the line or something like that. And she said some of the kids... Um, are happy to just leave it there all day. Yeah, that's awesome. They just, you know, ditch yeah, it. Yeah, we got to turn the corner on this thing. Um, and that's that's very creative. Um, there's a book by a guy named Cal Newport that came out a couple years ago called Deep Work. And I shared it with my guys. I do these kind of little mini conferences. And I just said, I said, guys, I think one of the reasons why you're unsatisfied and frustrated with your intellectual life is because you never go deep. Because mm-hmm. you're trying to do your homework, but then you're looking at the phone, you're back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You're just kind of dab- dabbling. And this guy, Cal Newport, lays out just on a very, it's a business book. It's just a very natural thing of like, you have the capacity for this much deep work, but you have to create the, the, the environment to make that happen. And he very clearly is like, these are the steps to do it. And one of them is get rid of social media. Now, we're not saying you have to do that, but that's, that's his, one of his suggestions. And um, so really, it's a very helpful, I think very practical... Good. A uh, book of like when we would go into the library together, we had this awesome rare books room, and we would study with a couple guys, and we were we were in it. Yeah, and you could only do that for so many hours. You know, it wasn't an eight-hour day, at least for me. Yeah, because um, you can't do it. And then there are it's a nice time at eleven o'clock. We'd have an espresso, and you could check the phone and kind of you know kind of see what's going on. Also, we had the advantage in Rome of like there's nothing going on because everybody's asleep. For the that's first right. six hours of the day. Yeah, that's right. Back home. Back home. So, yeah. so at about two o'clock, you know, you, mom would text or whoever would kind of uh, be emailing and these kind of things, and then you kind of be. So we had this kind of interesting ability to kind of step out of that. Um, but uh, we really have to kind of get. We got to. We kind of turn the corner a little bit. So I was really proud of these kids. I guess it's. You're saying it's a it's a bandwidth thing for this book, this professional or whatever. It's like just a mental bandwidth thing, or it's a right. restlessness thing. You can't focus, or it's just like a distraction regular. Because I also think there's a, like a temptation um, or a limitation for going deep with study if you, um, if you have access to sort of quick facts, right. and then you think you know things. Right. You know, If I Google this thing, I mean, I had to sit with a book by uh, Vilkins for like three weeks to go over it and over it and over it to try to understand it, to really get the ideas, translating things, and just to um, digest that yeah. thing. Yeah. And I think it changed the way that I thought. Yeah. And if it's just like look up facts and then whatever, claim to know stuff, I kind of do that for the show, so <laughs> well, <laughs> I kind of yeah, feel embarrassed no. about that. But if you just wiki some stuff and throw out some facts, you're not like learning you know, and you're, you're certainly not studying. You know? It's very shallow. Yeah. And I think um, you read somebody like Yates, going back to this poet here, it's like there's no shallow appropriation of poetry, like mm. what he's doing or what Hopkins is doing. Um, and I'm just amazed with how difficult it is for us to build the habits of study. And I think that mm. part of it is just we're so distracted and superficial. And again, we're looking for the quick fix because you can sound smart because you look up Wikipedia. And I've done it. I've done it in class prep. Like I'm not yeah, above this, right, you know. Right. Um, but we have to kind of work work deeper at it, and we have to kind of kind of go into these things. So as I was, the the point of the homily was not so much like. Um, Google owns you and they know everything, which is true. Um, the point of the homily was reflecting on this poem by Yeats, um, the self versus the soul. Okay, And the, the poem is a, is a dialogue between the self and the soul. And I don't necessarily agree with how he concludes it, because okay. uh, I think he's, he's kind of, uh, well, he's not, he, he, he grew up Protestant, but he... Uh, he, he's not Christian in his kind of worldview, uh, though he's, 
he, he's saying really amazing and profound things about uh, human nature and, and just the existence of man. But uh, it was that, the, the whole point of the homily was more shifted towards we've lost our souls in the pursuit of ourself, the self. Okay. So, I was going to ask, yeah. yeah, what, I mean, what would he consider and what would you consider the difference between self and soul? Yeah. And what does that mean? Um, I think some, I guess a further complication for our, our rhetoric is um, the spirit. Like, what is someone's spirit? And how does that relate to a self or a soul? Yeah. But what about self and soul? Like, right, that pick mean? up the poem and uh, take a look at the first part of it, and I'll, I'll fill here in a backfill in a second. So uh, at the risk of sounding like I'm smarter than I am, um, I came to this not so much through my own just personal study of poetry, but a wonderful article I read by a guy named James Matthew Wilson, who's just a fantastic uh, theologian and uh, English professor, and he wrote this article recently that came out in Logos, a journal this fall called Emptying the Tankard, Recovering the Soul in the Age of the Self. And here's just a line that he says. The modern age seems almost unprecedented in its concern with the self. From health fads to postmodern philosophy and on to contemporary identity politics, the self seems to be our only uncontested value. We inhabitants of the modern age drink deeply from the tankard of self and do so by no intrinsic necessity at the expense of the loss of the soul. Hmm. So he really sees the soul is something that is received, something that is fulfilled, not by ourselves. The self, so to speak, is something that is created by us, and the pursuit of the self is actualized. Now, Yeats has some interesting imagery there, if you see the first part, if you see what I'm talking about there. There's a, it's a lot, but go ahead and yeah. Well, I'm kind of I'm kind of looking at this stuff, but I'm also thinking about what you're what you're saying, and um, I, is is self the way you're talking about? It? Is that the same thing that we might talk about a persona? Yeah. How I want to present myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what about is there an authentic self where like you come to know yourself and you're actually acting the way I don't know you are who you present is just who you are. Yeah, I think so. Instead of like trying too hard or something. So read the first line from the poem there about uh, my soul. I summon to the winding ancient stair. Set all your mind upon the steep ascent, upon the broken, crumbling battlement, upon the breathless, starlit air, upon the star that marks the hidden pole. Fix every wandering thought upon that quarter where all thought is done. Who can distinguish darkness from the soul? So the soul, he describes as this kind of ancient staircase, and it's this kind of ascent upwards into... uh, who we were made to be, mm-hmm. um, as, yeah. and but we also have this self, so to speak, which is something that's just kind of structured in us. And I think I think the the, the mm. separation is post lapsarian, so it's something that this is fallen human nature mm. that there's a separation, and your instinct to say um, they belong together, that the self can find itself in the soul. But um, if, you, if you continue on, then he goes into the, the, the self with a different image. Yeah, myself. The consecrated blade upon my knees is Sato's ancient blade, still as it was, still razor keen, still like a looking glass unspotted by the centuries. That flowering, silken, old embroidery torn from some court lady's dress and round, the wooden scabbard bound and wound, can... Tattered, still protect, faded, adorn. So Yeats is talking here about the self-identity. He, he's using this image of the Japanese sword, right? Mm-hmm. And it's something that describes kind of the way that we kind of cut into, um, into existence. You know, that we just we define ourselves by what mm. we do, which is real. Like that's not this is not a, a fake thing. And, and yeah. but but he's he's saying what is this kind of interplay? You know, between kind of going into the depths, the winding staircase, into the halls of memory of of who we are and finding ourselves versus this kind of actualizing mm-hmm. uh, movement towards self-creation. The soul is like those deep longings, the aspirations, the nobility, something I know myself possible, you know, capable of, all of the, um, uh, yeah, the, the kind of deeper movements. And then the, the self is like almost like how I try to get there. 
right. what I'm doing to make it happen. All of those decisions and circumstances that um, def- kind of define us in a way that like, you can look back at your um, photo book and say, okay, this is who I am or something. Right. But different than, yeah, I can see the difference between. Uh, from the, the Christian anthropological perspective. Oh, yeah. you, would, you would agree that we can make that self. We actually have a life that we're making right. by decisions. By um, It's related to the soul, but when you look back on your life, it's going to be that kind of, what have you done? What have you decided for? What yeah. have you become? Um, but I see what you're saying, that the, the kind of integration. I'm just trying to wrap my mind around this, this kind of difference between the soul and the self here. So I think that what I what I found in the poem was the soul is something that is eternal, right? It's calling us out the staircase, this kind of ascent into the beyond, um, and the self is historical. It's actualized. It's it's immediate. Um, it's something that's happening within. But like you're saying, these are not strictly separated. The Christian doesn't just say uh, the self doesn't matter because we believe that self knowledge is the first step towards holiness, right? But we also reject the culture that we're living in, which is a culture of self-creation. Mm. And that's what Wilson's whole uh, article is on, is as he reflects on this, he's saying, something has been lost of the soul in the pursuit of the self. Mm. And this, for me, is what is beneath what we're doing technologically, is that um, this kind of self, this pursuit of the self, uh, which is just exhaustive i mean it's just it's infinite in the sense but it's it's also historical and and temporal and limited but it's something we're just we're pursuing and pursuing there's it's hard to present the soul on social media it's very easy to present the self oh yeah you know what i mean yeah absolutely so the the phone is the phone a tool for us or is it you know does it own us i i was talking to my buddy um scott drake who's a really fantastic and and very thoughtful guy and he said he said he he just picked because i said to him he's he's a great ceo and i just said how do you how do you turn it off you know you work so hard but then you when you're with your family it's amazing you're so present to them and he goes he goes this doesn't own me i own this and he was holding his phone nice and i was like that i wish i i wish i could say that i I don't think i'm there yet i think you're getting there though i think you're making the right steps but i see what you're saying like yeah you present yourself and that's kind of a classic problem that I think everyone recognizes, or, or at least the superficiality of the self-presentation on social media. You know, this is who I want people to see. And, and then saying, like, I'm, you know, I'm known by people. These are my friends. They know me because they've seen the pictures that I've posted. Right. And they've interacted and given me thumbs up or said nice things. Or when I'm down and I've said something about it, then they've reacted to that or something. But, yeah, how well can you know a person's soul? Much of the soul is communicated in a very different way. Like, you get to know someone and you come to know what they want and who they are and, like, kind of, yeah, what motivates them, what interests them. And it's not like a dating profile that you can, you know, give the superficial. And I think, um, yeah, there's this kind of... uh, I mean, it's almost like a, a a very sad disconnect. It makes me think of like how there's a real longing for meditation among adults anymore, and um, and it was something that Father Goronsky always recommended: sitting, and being quiet. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is just letting all this self kind of shake shake away, sift away, and then really kind of being present to yourself and coming to know your soul and being. Um, I think to to let our soul motivate our life, um, the deeper things, then we really do have to kind of settle down from um, forcing things. Okay, so I'll give you an example. In confessions, I'm frequently um, concerned about people who are coming in and clearly, it's not the same thing as scruples, but it's like this obsession with self-help and self-actualization. They spend a lot of their time, even in prayer, 
um, diagnosing themselves, mm-hmm. like like digging into their past. Where did things go wrong? Why am I not as perfect as I could be? Or like, how do I tweak these things and get on top of this thing? Or like, get better at this or that in my spiritual life? Or all this stuff where I'm, I keep think, thinking and trying to find ways to counsel. Just stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at yourself. That's not helping. It doesn't matter. Um, tr- try to just be. And I think part of what that is is trying to say, okay, you can cut through this um, projection or kind of project, project mm-hmm. of self yeah. and just recognize that there is a deep person that's created there and that's good and that's full, that's fallen, that the whole mix of the soul is much deeper. And I also experienced this when I did a COVID blessing uh, or COVID anointing at the hospital just a few days ago. And um, it was interesting to interact with the nurse because the nurse was happy that I was there. And, um, and I, was kind of, I wasn't sure exactly kind of what to think um, in that place. I always feel different things as I you know, do these sacramental things. But um, when I was... She, so she thanked me um, very sincerely for coming. And I was kind of moved by that, like here they are in this setting where they're doing what they can to help, like, you know, save a person's life, body, and everything. And, uh, and she thanked me, and she said, um, I know how meaningful this can be for some people. And, um, and I think she was kind of expressing, oh, it wouldn't, wouldn't really matter to me, but it's, you know, it's helpful for the people. And he can, I th- you know, he can still hear. He's unconscious, but he can still hear. So, but the the attitude, I, I left thinking about it and thinking, well, okay, that's nice. But I think why I feel like it's really meaningful is that I'm preparing a soul for death. Mm. And there's something, she's preparing a body for death and taking care of the body for death. And I'm preparing a soul for really the birth into something very mysterious, but the afterlife. And um, this is, I think, more profound than she could understand from her perspective, but I even needed to remember, this isn't just like a feel good, let people um, feel good while they're dying kind of thing. This is actually, the, there's a huge mystery of a person's, um, not inside, but this whole deeper reality of ourself that, that is the soul, that um, interacts with God and interacts with grace and with ourself in a way that's uh, like on a whole not a whole different plane. It's not supposed to, I guess. It's supposed to be integrated. But um, just that, that kind of deep reality that is um, not, can't be reduced to, okay, here's the, here's the person totally here. They're, mm-hmm. this, they're this thing that's unconscious right now and might need a little you know, comforting or it'd be nice for the family to know that you came by or whatever. I, I felt like I have a terribly important job right here. Um, doing something with the soul that I, I don't even know exactly what's going on. Yeah, and for somebody like that, there is no self where their their body does not, they're not capable of, they're not doing anything yeah, necessarily. Right. But you're still there to tend to this spiritual co-principle the, that they, they're not just a body. And they're not also this kind of um, self-actualizing kind of thing uh, as well. And it can, and it can, it can interact and it's dynamic. And so it's not just, he can't do anything right now yeah. to affect one thing or another. Yeah. He can't even think, he yeah. can't even, but, but the soul but is the soul, still, he's still living because growing, soul, yeah. he's still capable yeah. of change and healing. And it was, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's There's a something great image. deep that I think is yeah. really profound. My experience of what this arose out of my own, frustration i just got sick and tired of confessing sins that were self blank so self reliance self actualization self preoccupation like yeah. i'm just like i'm sick and tired of living my life for myself yeah. self you know self focused self focused it's yeah. the it's the kind of the egotism it's the uh, this this kind of myopic world where like everything gets just and and it's so, it just consumes so much of my day and my life and it's it's so contrary to 
the deeper reality, which is the soul. Um, so, you know, at the end of the poem, Yeats basically makes this kind of, you know, claim, you know, his, his point is like, uh, human life is this defiant act of self-assertion. Now he's doing this kind of coming out of his own kind of complex relationship with Christianity. Um, but I, I think as Christians, we, we can learn from Yeats to say there, there is a distinction here, um, but we don't end with kind of a Nietzschean self-assertion. We're not trying to be, make ourselves into the Ubermensch. You know, that's, that's not the point of the Christian life. Because at, at, for all of us, we're going to end up, maybe it's not COVID, but we're going to end up in that possibly vegetative state at the end of our life mm-hmm. where somebody's going to be sitting next to us and, and God willing, a priest shows up and anoints us and something is happening here on a deeper level that cares for our soul and helps that soul move into eternity. Um, when the self, all, I mean, everything on social media is just, it's just an illusion. It's a facade. It's mm. just gone, right? When somebody dies. I got off Instagram because my dad had a stroke. And I remember thinking, I, I don't want to post anything. Like, I don't want to talk about this. Yeah. I don't even know. And it wasn't like this, like, great moral moment. Like, I, I'm, not that, I'm not that profound. It was just, I, I just was kind of like, I have, this is so superficial to describe what I'm experiencing right now, yeah. which is the man that I love and respect more than anyone in my life has been, is now half paralyzed. And it, it, it just, it, it, it kind of brought um, my whole pursuit of the self, which I was trying to do on Instagram. It just brought, it just brought it to, it just said, this is nothing. This is empty. Yeah. I, what I need to do is I need to sit with my father and not be on my phone. And just sit with my mother, yeah. and and that was that's when I that was and not you know, two and a half years ago. It, it's not going to make you feel better if everybody no. knows or no. something. You know? There was no number of likes that were going to make me feel really good about the fact that my dad is is his life has radically been changed and he's going to be handicapped now for for the rest of his life. And it was just it was that was the moment for me. And I I'm not the point of this podcast is not to say get off social media, but for me it was to say I got I got to wake up and I got to start living for the soul. And what I'm doing about this kind of self-preoccupation on the phone, on the internet, these things, it's got to change. So, yeah, a, a yeah, fine, I, I, I like it. I'm, I'm going to have you down the line explain to me some of the the poem. I now I'm intrigued, and now I'm like stuck on some of the imagery too. But because um, he's got this the self thing in this second uh, strophe that I just read, he's got both this sword, this Japanese right. sword sharp, keen. He's using this language of like clear, like a mirror. And then he's, and then he flips it and uses this language of a, a, a torn and battered embroidered gown or something like old cloth. That's so soft and fragile and like just the whole opposite. Right. Yeah. And, um, so I'm, I'm intrigued to, to kind of explore these, this imagery and, and watch exactly what he's talking about. But another line from another poem, and I don't even know, this is like very famous, so I should know, but um, rage, rage against the night. There's this poem that's um, looking at death and it's saying, okay, this is the possibility for me to either, I think it raises the question of, okay, am I reconciled with life and am I who I want to be? And the point at the end is basically what you're saying with him. It's like self-actualization. I, if I die now, it's the end of my ability to define myself. Mm-hmm. So live, live forever. Fight so that I can, I can make myself whatever I want to be, whatever I haven't yet. And, um, and that's a futile project. It's like a really disappointing and scary project because I'm not going to make myself... I don't even know, really. Yeah. If I'm not aware of what I want to be, then it's just like grow a good beard and <laughs> like work out enough, yeah. feel healthy, like stupid. Yeah. What about the soul? Yeah, I, I unfortunately will have to keep studying Yates and, and keep thinking about it. Um, but my, my kind of closing thought on him would be he sees the immortality of the soul as the grounds of the self. And for the Christian, it's the self exist to be surrendered into God for the sake of the soul. Mm. So it's a, it's a different approach. 
he's helping us understand, this poem helps us understand that there is a distinction and that we, we live in a different way. But the way that they interact, I think it's just, I don't have, I don't have this figured out. This is just kind but of But no, I like that. In I, process. Kind of pointing out that the, the self is a help to the soul. Right. But the soul is the important kind of element. Not that, well, yeah. Obviously, the, they're not totally divided. But right. um, in the end, if I'm racing after and I'm making choices and I'm doing things, Say I am sacrificing myself to write a doctoral dissertation for years and years and years. Um, this could be either a trophy that I'm going to die and it's going to be dust and it doesn't matter a whole lot that nobody really knows about or cares about. Um, but I might feel good about for a little while. Or this is an exercise that's um, honoring truth. It's um, trying to relate to the deepest things, to explore to um, to somehow serve something and um, and I think those things cut kind of deeper to a, like edification of the soul mm-hmm. the uh, formation of the soul and the kind of what what endures and not just like you know kind of racking up a deeper sort of scorecard or something like that but like a um, yeah who am I and how do I uh, approach life the way that I've been made, like the person that I am, and how do I let the soul um, kind of inspire, but not drive, because the drive seems like the self piece, but yeah. um, kind of inspire. Here's the possibilities that could satisfy, and then kind of allowing, you know, that freedom, but also like encouraging a certain choice. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. This is. Um uh, this would be fun to circle back on this, you know, keep thinking on this and uh, because this is a very kind of rudimentary uh, entrance into it. But um, a final note here from uh, James Matthew Wilson. This is the author who is writing on this. Um, this this really struck me and we will close with this here. The soul is not primarily the object of one's self-discovery, though it certainly is the answer to the question about itself that the self may pose. It is the means by which we come to see our placement in the order of reality of which we are a part and whose structure we must understand if we are to be brought to our intended end. The soul is not primarily the object of one's self-discovery. That's the key line. Mm. The purpose of our self-discovery is not... Like we don't, the purpose of our life is not self-discovery. That's the first thing, mm-hmm. and the soul is not the object of that. And that's where he steps away from Yeats's conclusion. Um, so, this is coming out in Advent, and uh, you're thinking about this. But I, you know, there are certain people who are uh, who know poetry better than us, and it'll be great to hear if they can, you know, kind of give us some insights on this. But um, circling think- back to the phone and social media and that world, everything is created for us to actualize our souls. And a lot of people are making trillions of dollars off of that. And the Christian Mm. life seems so irrelevant to the postmodern non who's just walking around. Everything is so secular um, that we have to get back to the soul. We have to, the primacy Mm. of the soul, the eternity of the soul, the immortality of the soul. Like we, we, we have to live in such a way and we have to conform all of this kind of work of the self the doctoral studies, the courses we teach, the great homilies you give, whatever it might be, um, all of this has to be ordered back to that. And that's Christ's words, is that we, we, we die to ourselves, we surrender ourselves for the sake of our souls uh, in God. And that's, that's the mystery of the Christian life. But that's what gives it such vitality and such an adventurous spirit to it. So, Well, and I, I, it's, it's a kind of a paradox to hear that it's not like life's project is not self-knowledge, but maybe there's something of like, because it's, there was something there about um, the connection with reality, seeing yourself within a, a whole, that maybe our, what, we need to be, what we need to try to do is to just focus on some object outside of ourselves that in the end can um, fulfill and also give us a, a, a perspective that is healthy or different. And I think that's part of Christian meditation is to fix Jesus as the object of our interest. So it's not self-introspection. Right. And maybe we can't even di- discover that that real self, that, that soul, our own soul, uh, by introspection. Like we're not even 
capable of that or don't need to or whatever. But um, really in pondering Jesus and the saints and the mysteries, um, come to know ourself or come, come to connect maybe. Yeah. You know? And I think that's, that's the key point right there is that the object of the soul is God. It's not the self. Mm. And it doesn't mean that we don't improve the self. I'm thinking of Rudolf Ahler's great Catholic convert psychologist. Like, there's a lot of work in the self to be done. Yates is saying something here that's very true that needs to be, we need to tend to. But yeah, at the end of the day, like you're saying, it's, it's about the death of the self for the sake of the soul, but in God. You know? So we well, better stop there because we're already at 15 minutes. Best of luck with your yeah. contest. I have every hope in you. Oh, man. I Phil Bartline, you're going down this week, I buddy. I call Phil yes. three times a Talk day. Talk to him regularly. For the next yeah. week. I'm going to give his phone number out to the podcast. Please call <laughs> him at least once before Christmas. So thank you. Uh, yeah, that was great. And thanks to Terry and Susan Wright, oh, as always, yeah. for filling our lives with, with good is and true and beautiful things. Thank you for reminding me, because I, I really do love that. I find a lot of peace in reading poetry yeah i'll have to return to it advent project advent project here we go i have two shout outs here one is uh kristen klein in grand island nebraska thanks for your kind note you have awesome handwriting by the way um and we're really grateful for some kind words about the election podcast and then uh number two here this is from who is this from paulette berg Hey, Paulette. Dear Father John, Father Nathan, Father Mike, I'm a 76-year-old grandmother that listens to your podcast religiously. Oh, most of them like I listen to many. Most of them I listen to many times. I love the banter. Oh, we love you, Paulette. And especially Father Nathan's sense of humor. Okay, you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have, uh, what does she say? I, miss I Father, like it, too. I miss Father Michael, and I've been listening to his new podcast, with Sister Natalia. It's very interesting, and I'm learning about the great deal, a great deal about the Catholic Disney Church. I'm a member of Our Lady of Mercy Catholic Church in Aurora, Illinois. And then she goes on to talk about the priests. Uh, and she said, would you give me a shout-out? A simple shout-out would make my day. Well, Paulette. Paulette Bird. This is your shout-out. Thank you for listening. You're delightful. Can't wait to meet you. One of you. our new favorites. So thank you for listening. Thanks for, uh, yeah, thanks for religious listening. You should teach me that. There you go. God bless you, everybody. You got any shout-outs? No? Oh, um, no. I want to shout Not really. Uh, Martin DePores. You're cool. Very cool. Hey, thanks, Mike. Uh, Blessed Advent, everybody. We're in it now, and uh, we'll be back next week. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com.